way, people. Ladies and gentlemen, I got a call yesterday. An individual was in town, and they are a high-level manager in the TSA. And they said, you got to warn people. Whistleblowers from TSA and Border Patrol have raised the alarm to InfoWars that the Biden administration is setting the stage for full COVID lockdowns that will begin with incremental restrictions like masking TSA employees in mid-September. Then, by the middle of October, they are going to say that everyone flying has to wear a mask. And in the meetings, people began to ask them, well, I mean, why is this happening? They said, well, because of the new variant in Canada and because of the WHO, they may you know, declare this, but regardless, we've been told this is going to happen. Gloomy, scientists call for people to start wearing COVID masks again as they sound alarm over new variant AB16 that has lots of new mutations. Print that for me. And then they were told, we expect by December a return to the full COVID protocol of 2020-2021. And now, see what happened over the next few days. COVID-19 forcing a school district to shut down. Rungay ISD southeast of San Antonio is reporting 20% of its teachers and staff have COVID, including the superintendent. To the COVID front here in San Antonio, the city has seen a 30% increase in COVID-19 cases since last week. 1,965 new cases have been reported. It's still well below last year's numbers and what the city saw during the peak of the pandemic. Metro Health says the positivity rate at its facilities is 29%, but so far says not many children have tested positive. The CDC announced it's tracking a newly discovered strain of COVID-19. Just four cases have been confirmed so far worldwide, with one of those in Michigan. The World Health Organization has classified the strain as a, quote, variant under monitoring due to its large number of mutations. Officials say its mutations could help the virus bypass immunity from prior infections or vaccinations. Can you say anything about the uptick of COVID cases and new variant? Yes, I can. As a matter of fact, I signed off this morning on a proposal we have to present to the Congress a uh, request for additional funding for new vaccine that is necessary, that works. And tentatively, not decided finally yet, tentatively, it is recommended that, it would like to be recommended that everybody get it matter where they got before That's right. There's still no reason to be alarmed, but health officials say pay attention. Many people are traveling, they're getting together. All of that has fueled an uptick in COVID-19 cases and rates are increasing at the highest rate right now in the Southwest.
As many enter the last few weeks of a social summer season, it's clear one thing didn't take a break, COVID. And with fall fast approaching, many are wondering if and when they should get their booster shots. Everyone will, will likely meet the criteria to get the new booster. Get your COVID booster now. Covers all recent variants, including XBB.1.5. Is Alex Jones right again? Welcome to Counterspin. I'm Hannah Spira, and a special warm welcome to any of you who are joining us for the first time. Hopefully a loving family member or a friend has given you this link where we will be discussing the World Health Organization, WHO for short. So this is episode 97, Who Are the Bastards Killing Us? Part 2, The Return of the Pandemic, and that follows on from episode 96, Who Are the Bastards Killing Us? with James Roguski. Now, whatever you believe about Alex Jones, he's certainly got a pretty good track record of telling us tomorrow's news today. Now, back on August the 18th, he broke a big story, and that was the fact that there is another pandemic scheduled for September, October. And as you saw on the opening video, the mainstream media over in the US is certainly running with this. Uh, over here in New Zealand, however, we've only actually managed to find a couple of headlines um, and you know they are talking about a COVID, a mutant COVID variant, uh, a mutant COVID variant. Apologies, uh, going to hit New Zealand shores very soon. So let's see. Maybe those headlines will start to pick up. And we wanted to bring you this information so that you can plan ahead. And we've got some great people joining us. We've got Mark Webster. He's a pharmacist, and he will be discussing the WHO regulation changes. And he will be followed by Greg Jesniewski, who's looking at exactly the same documents, but he's actually gone um, and started a number of petitions that are now in front of Parliament here in New Zealand. Then we're going to have on Dr. Alison Goodwin from the New Zealand Doctors Speaking Out with Science. She's got some good news to share with us, and she's also going to let you know how you can keep your family safe should there be another pandemic. And finally, Tracy Livingston from the Election Integrity Project will be joining us, and she really wants to get you involved in this upcoming election here in New Zealand in October because we need watchdogs. We need to keep an eye on those vote counters, and it could be a really fun day out for you as well. But before we bring on our guests, um, and Mark will be our first guest before he comes on, we're going to show you a very historic clip of Alex Jones' forewarning about a completely different topic and that is September 11. I'm going to put the call out that you call the White House and tell them look we've seen the news stories that you've wanted to blow things up that you have blown things up and that you're saying that four million of us are going to die and we need martial law and the Associated Press and one of your little drills you had and that we're aware of who the terrorists are if you pull this. This can stop this Hitlerian Reichstag event. And I won't want you to believe Alex Jones. I want you to go get these news stories off my website. I want you to call these major newspapers. I want you to find out these statements were true by the White House about preparing for martial law. And I want you to let them know that if there is any terrorism, we know who to blame. The point is, if any terrorism comes, it's from this government. 
And if there was an outside threat like a bin Laden, who was a known CIA asset in the 80s, running the Mujahideen War, and whose family builds all the military bases over in Saudi Arabia right now, and sits on the board of Iridium Satellite, he's the boogeyman they need in this Orwellian phony system. I want the White House numbers up there now. A big part of this solution, after you research all the government terrorism and check out what I'm saying is true, call the White House and tell them, we know the government's planning terrorism. We know Oklahoma City and World Trade Center was terrorism. We know the Joint Chiefs of Staff wanted to blow up airliners, Baltimore Sun. If you do it, we're going to blame you because we know who's up to it. Or if you let some terrorist group do it, like the World Trade Center, we know who to blame. And you could save the planet. I'm calling it Operation Expose the Government Terror. Alex Jones was right again. We are now joined by Mark Webster. He's a pharmacist from Christchurch and also an integrative health um, practitioner. He's also got a website, staywellman.co.nz, where you can go and uh, get any um, advice and tips on how to become better and stay well and, and get all healthy and all that good stuff. So welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you, Hannah. Great to be here. Now, we wanted to get you on because you put out a video recently going over the World Health Organization um, documents in terms of the international international health regulations being changed. And of course, you were talking about Ashley Bloomfield and how he's the co-chair. And of course, Ashley Bloomfield um, was the Director General of Health here. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. Um, and he was involved right through uh, the last few years with, with the whole COVID response pretty much from start to finish. So what did you find interesting when you were looking at these documents and what do you think people need to know? Well, I think the first thing that was interesting is that these documents are, for want of a better phrase, hidden in plain sight. These are these are freely available on the World Health Organization website. So that's just who.int. I guess that stands for international. And uh, or you can just go to your favorite browser and type in WGIHR, the Working Group International Health Regulations. And it's all there for you to see. The, the, actually, the meetings, the videos of those meetings are all there. Um, so that they're not hiding anything, and yet it's not being publicized. And I thought that was interesting, that we've got these uh, fairly broad changes happening. And not just New Zealand public, I think the public at large globally are not being advised as to what's going on. And none of our politicians are talking about this either. And yet this has a dramatic um, potential for where we head to with any future health responses. Um, whilst you can apply it to perhaps a pandemic, they talk about an international incident of uh, global concern and so this of course could could be perhaps potentially anything uh, and they don't even give a definition of what that might be other than it's somebody's opinion. Yeah we recently had James Roguski on as well going over these documents and the changes being made and also the pandemic treaty and he's saying that it's very difficult for the layman to understand and like you say as well there's no politicians anywhere around the world discussing this, it's kind of being done in plain sight but behind closed doors. So I guess that gives them the kind of the out that they can say, well, it was all there for you to see but nobody discussed it. Um, how do you think 
it's going to be implemented you know with these rumors now this last week or not even rumors but actually whistleblowers coming out and saying that there are going to be another round of lockdowns and potentially a new variant in the next couple of months well you know there's a lot of conjecture over what's happening when and to be quite honest the amount of information i come across i don't know what's true and what's not anymore what's up what's down however what i what i can say is if you look through even the first four pages of this document um, you you are left with a of a sense of foreboding because it makes it so open, and yet it also you know they've crossed out the words non-binding. So therefore, if you've removed the words non-binding, one would then f- assume that it is therefore binding. Or if you're a member of the WHO, then you are to comply. They do talk in later on in the document about, uh, for instance. Uh, each uh, country, they don't call it a country, um, but each stakeholder, they uh, must have put something in place that will prepare and um, evaluate and look out for issues. And they've got to do that within five years of this, um, of these amendments coming into force. Now, if you've got something coming into force, that means it's going to be put in and uh, forcibly it's not there's no permission in that that's being locked in place so if you've got something that is now no longer non-binding and you remember then my expectation would be well then you would be to comply the other point i would make about that is nowhere in the document does it say that the uh in the, the country gets an out they can't stick their hand up and say, oh, I don't I don't want to be part of this anymore. So, you know, we, we, all, we all saw last time with the last uh, global incident that each country made its own decision with regards to lockdowns, um, vaccinations, the, the whole lot, They're all mask wearing, all of those bits and pieces. And there was a great variety through the world. This time, based on this document, it appears that uh, there's going to be some uniformity and that everybody will be responding in the same way. And that bothers me as a health professional. It bothers me as a, a, uh, a human being and as a, someone who lives in New Zealand. I, I, I find that abhorrent that uh, we as, as a community or as, as a civilization should be dictated to by a small group of appointees. Yes, and... There are some very disturbing things that can happen to people, aren't there, when um, people declare a pandemic or even a potential pandemic, because it seems like it's a very loose term now what is going to be an emergency, and they've got now these powers. And we saw that being embedded into the New Zealand legislation where you know the police could, could enter even a place of work uh, without a warrant. Um, did you want to touch on that? Because now we've got people that are actually getting sectioned under, under the Psychiatric um, Mental Health Act here in New Zealand, Pamela Taylor, and now also in Norway, uh, a guy, Trond Harold Harland, has been um, taken into a psychi- psychiatric ward because of his views about COVID and the World Health Organization, the WEF. Um, it's getting very dystopian at this point. Yeah, that's that's pretty concerning. Uh, 
I've I've had a number of uh, individuals say to me, you know, well, look, it's they they won't ever do that, um, and you know, and my point would be, well, why is it in there? You know, why have they crossed out non-binding if it's not going to be binding? Uh, if it's not going to be binding, leave non-binding in there. Uh, we've got the COVID nineteen Public Health Response Act twenty twenty. If you go to enforcement, which is section twenty, that's still there that um, an enforcement officer can warrantlessly enter uh, a, a building or a, a any land, craft, vehicle or place. Um, they, they say that currently they can't enter a private dwelling house or a marae, but anywhere else they can, without a warrant, they can enter. Uh, and in fact, if they are prevented from doing so from an individual, they can enter by force. And that was in, that was put in right at the very beginning. And I had the same thing from individuals. The same. I'd say, well, look, that's them. I said, well, yeah, but they'd never do it. And I'd say, well, then why is it in there? Um, and then then they'd have some sort of weak excuse about, oh, well, it might be to control a gang or what have you. Well, then why don't they put it in and say it's specifically for these terms and conditions rather than leaving it open? And I, I'm very concerned when I look at um, a piece of legislation like this uh, where it is very open. And you mentioned about, you know, a potential pandemic. It's not even that. It's preparing for a potential pandemic. I mean, goodness me, we could be preparing for a potential pandemic right now. And it's the Director General uh, that decides what is a potential pandemic. There are bits and pieces in there that say that of if he's unable to determine or there's insufficient information, then he can refer that to the Emergency Committee for speculation and discussion. Um, but all of that is very, very, I mean, these these are, these are all appointed individuals. These are not experts in the field necessarily. Um, and New Zealand is going along blissfully with this, and we, we don't have an option. Um, we saw the WHO recommendations last time you know, they were in full favour of lockdowns and other um, courses of action, which on reflection, we've now found wasn't really that great, didn't really um, do, do a lot of positives, and in fact, may have done a lot more damage with people not making their hospital appointments, people losing their businesses, people choosing to end their lives, et cetera, et cetera. So um, there's a lot of edicts that may be coming from this organisation, which we as a country or as the health professionals decide is not in our best interest. And we need to have that sovereignty. We need to be able to make those decisions for, for ourselves. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because, as you say, these people are appointed, they're not elected. And this is the whole way that the World Health Organization, the United Nations, the WEF, this is how they're all moving um, towards implementing a technocratic, bureaucratic um, one world order. I mean, they call it the Great Reset and whatever else now, but it's essentially taking away the power from the people because they are not elected and they are just appointed and then they will make the decisions. And you saw through the COVID pandemic that the New Zealand government was constantly saying, we get our information from overseas. You know, there'd be all these official information at requests going in, basically asking them for evidence of what they're making their decisions on. And it was always deferred to overseas. You know, we're following the World Health Organization or, um, you know, we're looking at uh, what America's doing. You know, and it was just, it's never responsibility at home um, from the elected officials. So 
it's constantly passing the buck, really, isn't it? Well, then also we ha- I think we have a detachment because we live at the bottom of the world and, you know, we, we still remember the Kiwi spirit, the number eight wire, and also, of course, we love to be first in things. So when Chris Hipkins uh, a week or so ago announced that uh, with the relationship with BlackRock that we're going to be first in the world, uh, you know, to, to achieve a goal, Kiwis love to be first. But um, And, of course, uh, Jacinda Ardern sold us the story that we were going to be the first country that remained COVID-free and all this sort of – so there's a lot of this uh, carrot and stick. Um, but by us being at the bottom of the world and we think we're, we're away from all of that, well, we've got a New Zealand citizen sitting as co-chair of this committee. This this is not something that's affecting the rest of the world and is leaving us behind. We are right in the thick of it, and we've got a New Zealand citizen at the at the helm, uh, helping drive this thing. And that doesn't give me a great sense of ease, particularly because you know many New Zealanders uh, still have the impression that uh, Sir Ashley or Sir Dr. Ashley Bloomfield was was an amazing, lovely man and so helpful during the pandemic. Um, and I would challenge all of those individuals and just say, well, look, if, if this lovely man is no longer convalescing in Marlborough Sounds, but is now actually at the helm with the WHO, International Health Regulation Working Group, um, maybe you should reconsider your position or, or have another look. Yeah, he was definitely given the uh, star attention like Fauci was over in America. And, of course, Helen Clark is um, in the thick of it also. Now, just before we wrap up, um, it seems that it's all the the minor parties that are actually discussing this because most of them, you know, pretty much actually all of them that I've spoken to so far have said that they would, um, well, maybe apart from the... Uh, legalized cannabis party because that seems to be their only issue but the majority of them are saying that they would remove New Zealand from the World Health Organization now if you were an advisor to the government or even to any of these minor parties what would your expert advice be regarding the World Health Organization well if you look through this document there 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 is some good stuff in there you know, it's it's it it's not all terrible and bad, but and I think with any organisation, if we had the ability to glean the best from it for us, I think that's a really positive thing. But if we are being mandated to take actions that uh, we would not necessarily choose on our own accord, then and and if our only option is you're either in or you're out, then then I'm out. Um, but if, if there is a, if there's another point, if there's another entry point where you can, you know, you can gain the stuff you want and you can pick and choose and have a bit of a smorgasbord, I think that's reasonable. But uh, with the way that this is being written and uh, drafted and, and it's looking like it's going to be decided, and once this is in place, there doesn't seem to be a mechanism in which that we can get out other than leaving. So I, I really feel that... Um, all the parties should be looking at this hard and they should all be explaining uh, why they would want to stay in given that this information is there and justify that. Um, and I, I can't see from what I've researched so far why they would want to stay. So if, if, I have, if it's an in or out only, I'm out. 
yeah, definitely debate is needed, as you say, and conversations need to be had um, with people like yourselves, the industry, the people that will be affected. But again, it's just something that doesn't seem to be making the mainstream media. Uh, anybody that talks about it gets dismissed as some sort of conspiracy theorist or spreader of mis and disinformation. Um, and if you talk to your friends about it, because they haven't seen it on TV, yeah, they just brush it off and they don't take it seriously. Uh, well, in closing, Mark, are there any other comments that you'd like to make? So I think going forward, what I would suggest uh, those watching this broadcast do is it doesn't matter where you are, just ask the question, hey, have you heard what Ashley Bloomfield's up to these days? Now, that's that's a completely, you know, uh, benevolent uh, question and um, isn't going to cause you any blowback. Usually most people will go, oh, I think he's just in the Melbourne Sounds convalescing. You go, oh, no, he's, he's actually with the World Health Organization. Get the conversation going. Get it started. I was at a restaurant the other day and I, I just said that to the barman, um, opened up his eyes. The the web the web address is so easy who.int it's so simple, um, so don't believe what I've got to say. Go and check it out, research it for yourself. And I know so often that is said, and people oh no, that's just conspiracy theory. Well, I'm sorry, um, it's it's all there um, on the website. Um, go and read it, and then talk amongst the others. I think people power is the way to go. Definitely. And where can people find you if they want to check out your work and maybe even have a fresh perspective on healthcare? Well, I'm on all the platforms. Um, you'll find me as Stay Well Man, um, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, um, or staywellman.com, or as you said, staywellman.co.nz. Um, and there's a lot of need out there. Um, I'm, a, I'm a pretty busy guy, but I'm, I'm happy to, to do what I can. And um, sometimes it's just a case of looking at the picture from a different point of view and seeing something that somebody else hasn't looked at. And ask questions. Don't believe anybody about anything. Ask questions. Research for yourself. Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us, Mark. And if there is anybody out there uh, wanting to know more about what's happening globally, check out exitthewho.com. Um, there's lots of information there and maybe there's somebody in New Zealand that wants to start a campaign here to exit the who and raise uh, awareness about this issue. And it's good to see other eagle-eyed Kiwis keeping tabs on the World Health Organization and most importantly, having the courage to speak out about it. Unlike those other treasonous traitors who are our fellow Kiwis also, like Dr. Ashley Bloomfield, he's also a sir, by the way, um, doing his part at the UN in the world with, with the World Health Organization. And, of course, Helen Clark, she continues. But the up-and-coming to watch out is, of course, the former Prime Minister, Dame Jacinda Ardern, who also received her honorary doctorate from the Harvard University, where she's also in fellowship there. No doubt with her expertise in mis- and disinformation and her you know, pet project, the Christchurch Call, she will no doubt have her position lined up at the United Nations to be announced very shortly, I imagine. But somebody else who has been supporting what Mark's, Mark Webster was just talking about is Dr. Naz. She recently spoke out at the European Parliament alongside Christine Anderson. That was the COVID summit earlier this year. 
And she is calling the World Health Organization out for just exactly what it is. My name is Dr. Meryl Nass, and I and Dr. Kat Lindley will be talking about the um, new WHO documents. You've heard from my last two colleagues that the um, rulers of many countries and many other apparatchiks have been wantonly breaking the law over the last three years. They have had no concern about obeying the law, and they want to protect themselves. Um, we're undergoing a soft coup, and the idea is to create a whole new set of laws and ignore the existing human rights laws and other laws under the pretext of pandemic preparedness and the biosecurity agenda. Um, 70 countries at least are involved with this, 50 supported by the US. Um, and the justification requires you to believe that pandemics are common and that they're caused by humans um, catching diseases from animals, from what they call spillover. And Fauci and Daszak have pushed this idea um, continuously over the last three years. Um, two examples, this is one Tony Fauci said in the, in the journal Cell, in a human-dominated world in which our human activities represent aggressive, damaging, and unbalanced interactions with nature, we will increasingly provoke new disease emergences. Daszak and Fauci's two lieutenants said the same thing. We must realize in our crowded world, human behaviors, environmental changes, and inadequate public health mechanisms can, can turn obscure animal viruses into existential human threats. And who is going along with this? Basically, all the major multinational organizations, as well as all our health authorities. The WHO is developing through all its nations, but with the WHO directorate in the United States in charge, a pandemic treaty and amendments to the existing international health regulations that will remove the human rights protections currently um, embedded in the IHRs, will enforce surveillance, censorship, get rid of freedom of speech, require governments to censor and only push a single narrative. Also, we will be sub subject, if, if they can make this work, to vaccines developed in 100 days, which the organization CEPI is planning to do. And one of the people who founded CEPI was Jeremy Farrar, who is now the chief scientist at the WHO to bring this forward. Um, other things that, uh, that amendments do is to bind the state so they are no longer recommendations but enforceable edicts, uh, provide a liability shield, get rid of intellectual property rights, move supplies from one country to another, um, enforce digital passports, and the director general of WHO can demand that a pandemic or a potential pandemic exists. He can just declare it with no standards, and then countries around the world will have to obey. Now, Dr. Naz was also suspended by her medical council over in America, but the good news is, is she has turned the tables and she is now suing them. So watch this space for that outcome. 
She is reading from those same World Health uh, World Health Organization documents that Mark Webster was, and another man reading from those documents is Greg Zizniewski. But before we bring him on, we've got the third clip from the Alex Jones Was Right series that we're showing you. Now, this one is all about what happened at the turn of the century, with um, which where he not only predicted 9-11, but also... Uh, predicted many biological outbreaks, the big one, of course, being in 2003, the SARS outbreak. Take a look at this. Biological and chemical attacks are imminent. They are preparing us. They are going to create a crisis because they know that they can't deal with a real political backlash and, and the restructuring and the reforming and getting back to the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. And the only government with a history of testing biological weapons is America. They've done it inside America in the 50s and 60s. That's what's declassified. Biological attack is imminent. Imminent. It's going to happen. It's not a question of will it happen, but when it happens. Was Alex Jones right? February 21st, Hong Kong. A doctor from southern China arrives for a family wedding. Whether he knows it or not, he is sick, carrying a mysterious new virus. He checks in to the Metropole Hotel, the ninth floor. And over the next 24 hours, he spreads the virus to at least 12 other hotel guests. The next day, the doctor's condition worsens. He goes to a Hong Kong hospital. But the people he's infected go to Hong Kong's airport. The virus is about to take flight. Headed for Singapore, Hanoi, and Toronto. We are now joined by Greg Jeshnuveski. He describes himself as a private citizen and he's part of the freedom movement in general and he's also a public advocate. Welcome to the show, Greg. Oh, thank you very much, Hannah. And greetings to the listeners or the audience. Now, we were looking for someone here in New Zealand who is essentially you know, doing stuff in regards to the World Health Organization and actually trying to be active in this space to uh, raise awareness and also start the conversation that, you know, we actually need to exit the WHO. So it was great uh, when we came across you and um, you had a few petitions in the works over the last few years. Do you want to do a bit of a, a history about what you've been doing? Uh, okay, thanks. Um, yeah, I, I was concerned about the COVID thing right from the get-go and um, and basically smelled a rat and thought it came out. It was synthetic rather than natural. Um, particularly like the um, so-called lockstep um, where everyone was uh, like all the authorities were running in the same direction and with the same narrative. Um, it was further confirmed. There was a, um, uh, there was a, a paper put out by Indians in uh, Indian researchers in January of 2020, uh, which basically talked about some like novel um, uh, findings in the, in the SARS cove, viral genome which they said was like unlikely um would have come through in nature uh, that paper was um rescinded or withdrawn but like it's it seems to have stood the test of time in terms of like the later findings about the furin cleavage site and various inserts into the SARS-CoV virus so I mean that that sense about it I had like way early 
And so everything that's been said about the SARS-CoV virus and what we should do about it, I've treated with extreme scepticism, you know, if it's come from the authorities. Um, so the other thing was, is I, as soon as the they were proposing lockdowns, um, I was very um, disdainful of that uh, because, like, the only thing that, like, stopping economic growth does is destroys people's lives. Like, it leads to all sorts of impoverishments and um, unacceptable situations, and that's proved to be the case because, like, New Zealand is any, like, any big number worse off than it was prior to 2020 uh, now in terms of its economic position. Um, and it's sent all of the trends and indicators in the wrong direction, you know, like in terms of mental health, uh, economic well-being, inflation, um, crime, all sorts of things, you know, like it's, it's economic vandalism is what's been done. Um, but those are just the unintended consequences. Well, it, unintended or intended, like, and yeah. like the other thing is, we got to think about this: is like New Zealand isn't driving this; it's being driven from somewhere else. So New Zealand's just following orders, despite that often repeated claim that we've got an independent foreign policy. And if anyone who's been following this realizes that the program's been in the making for a long time, because. As soon as all this started happening, I started looking at like um, what's been going on in pandemic preparedness in the background. So it's like long history of um, events being tested and modelled and like desktop exercises, etc. But I won't go into all of that because you know that's we you could spend hours on it all. Yeah. Well, we recently had um, James Roguski on, and of course you'll be familiar with his work. Yeah. Um, trying to raise awareness about what's happening with the World Health Organization and the amendments to the international health regulations. Um, he's done some great work. Do you use him as a resource? Uh, yeah. Um, him and my own researchers. I mean, I get emails from the WHO because I've signed up for their newsletters. Um, so I recently became aware that they were reviewing the standing recommendations for um, how to deal with COVID going forward um, because – they declared the pandemic over in May, May, but then they implemented standing recommendations. They can only legally be there for three months, so they had to review them. So then I, I they sent out a, an email on about the day that the review committee was meeting, and I found out that New Zealand has got a representative who was the deputy chair of that meeting. And who would that uh, be? And his name's Andrew Forsyth. So I sent off a detailed e uh, email to him and the committee and also to all the leaders of the political parties. So I CC'd in all the leaders of the New Zealand political parties, right, identifying that we don't want uh, them to continue business as usual because we've learned lots or we should have learned lots about what was wrong with the response. Um, but the guidelines came out pretty much as they were, which is continue to test, 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 continue to vaccinate, 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 and make sure everyone gets one or three, you know, or five or whatever it is. 
That's right. And now back in 2021, you actually started a petition that was sponsored by David Seymour. Do you want to do a little bit of a, a description okay, about so what happened there? That was about how to fix the Bill of Rights because, I mean, uh, okay, um, I've been looking at rights questions for a long time, but um, uh, Guy Hatchard, who um, listeners would be aware of, um, he he puts out his um, Hatchard reports, and one of them back in the middle of 2021 was talking about repealing the sec um, Section 5 of the Bill of Rights because that's the thing that they use to do the, um, the vaccination mandates, okay? And um, so I approached some national MPs about whether they would support a petition um, repealing Section 5. And they, they said no, because there are justified limits. So if you want to limit a um, criminal's right to freedom so that you could jail them, right, you would have to have a justified limit on their freedom of movement. If you wanted to stop a, a pedophile from putting out their dirt, right, you would have to have a justified limit on their free expression. So Section five of the Bill of Rights is important from the point of view of balancing the various rights in a in a reasonable way, but what's happened is is it was used inappropriately in justifying these toxins to get mandated and people have to take them. So my petition was about how to make sections eight, nine, ten, and eleven right not subject to section five. Again, that was the petition. Um, it got a number of um, um, people signing onto it, a few thousand. Uh, David Seymour um, put it in, um, sponsored it into the house. Um, I was invited to write my reasons, and I um, I wrote a ninety-four page document. It had two hundred and twenty-five references. It um, it went to the medical and clinical evidence. Uh, it went to the whole conspiracy and it went to the new zealand law on it right yeah. and detailed how the whole thing was unconstitutional right and it was definitely a breach of the bill of rights right and our bill of rights is an attempt to put in place the un covenant on civil and political rights okay which right. was new zealand agreed to a long time ago right and um so and it was jeffrey palmer who was the, if you like, the architect and driver of the Bill of Rights. And it was an attempt, it was attempted to be supreme law, but ultimately there was a pushback from the public and in the parliament, um, they decided just to make it an ordinary bill. Okay. So it could be amended easily at some point in time. Um, and maybe at the time it was the, it was probably the best thing that we could get um in terms of describing uh, our rights it's probably one of the best pieces of legislation around the world but it's not supreme law right in, i mean um there are lots of things that like the syracuse principles on like um um uh, in, uh, how to deal with um, rights in times of emergency, uh, even the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, which is the, if you like, the grandfather, it says that certain rights cannot be derogated from, right? 
including medical treatment, like a person's right to provide informed consent about any medical treatment. So my thing is, is that they have actually breached international law with all of this. Definitely. And then... Um, but anyway, the Parliament's Petitions Committee, they waived it to touch, ultimately. Okay, and this is the concern that many people have, that a lot of these petitions basically just don't end up anywhere. Um, but, but your thing well, is you've you got to go through the process, record. and it's part yeah. of documenting all of the things that have been done wrong so that when it comes to criminal trials, like we've done everything, um, like in terms of bringing... Uh, the law to the attention of the lawmakers. I mean, ultimately, there's got to have to be cases in a, in New Zealand, but also internationally about all of this. That's true. And then did you want to um, quickly touch on the other petitions that you've got running as well at the okay, moment? Okay, so I also put in a petition during 2022, uh, the latter part of 2022, which was to have a, a parliamentary inquiry into the whole COVID matter. And I gave them a detailed set of, um, um, that was sponsored by Stuart Smith, the Kaikoura M uh, National MP. Um, uh, that um, I put, as well as the petition, I put in a detailed reasons, but I attached to that um, very detailed terms of reference. And I suggested that a parliamentary inquiry into the um, uh, COVID matter be done on two stages. One would look at the vaccines, their safety and their efficacy urgently. And the second part would deal with the broader terms of reference, which was like who did what to whom, um, all the background, um, the economic consequences, um, like, how, you know, the law of it, um, you know, everything. Um, so they, they, at the same time as that was going to the petitions committee, the government on, I think it was the 5th or the 6th of December, 2022, announced their own Royal Commission into the COVID matter. Um, but if one reads the terms of reference, it's very limited and it's it doesn't even look at the questions of the efficacy or the safety of the final solution that's been mandated across New Zealand, right? And there's another petition that's very as active before the petitions committee put forward by Ali Cook, which got some 23 or four or 5,000 signatures. And she's put in detailed work uh, through her association with Linda Wharton. Of, um, um, uh, and they've, or she's put in something, 1,440 page uh, report, um, which includes lots, lots of testimony from people who have been vaccine injured or are the associates of people that have been killed as a result of this. Um, and the petitions, so that that's looking at the Pfizer in, or the injections and the adverse reactions and all of the all of that, because that's obviously not being dealt with through the Royal Commission. And uh, the petitions committee only Thursday just gone had its first look at that for 10 minutes. It was on their agenda. Oh, it's, okay. Yeah, they're never going to give it the time that it deserves. And what well, about the you? commission, the petition secretariat must have read through it over a couple of months because it was back and forth with Ali a few times because they wanted her to anonymize it so that they weren't giving out names 
right? Because it's going to get all that documentation is going to get uploaded on the website. In fact, it may already be there. I haven't looked on Friday. Okay. Okay. And what and about your I've, petitions run, to, the, the, yeah, to stop the who, um, or to at least have a referendum uh, as yeah. to whether we should be part of it or not? Yeah. So the, more recently, I've put two more petitions in about the pandemic treaty because I've been aware of them for like a long time. And it's a matter of like, how do we have a chat about them? Um, so one is about the pandemic treaty and the other one's about the international health regulation amendments. And both of those petitions are that we have referendums before we sign on to them. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because I mean, the people do need to have a voice in this. And of course, this has not been discussed in Parliament. So we uh, were looking for people who are taking action. Of course, you've you've taken some action here. What can people at home do? And what would you see um, as appropriate? Yeah. What can to empower the public? Um, well, the what is being proposed is to change the wording in the international health regulations and taking out references to human rights and human dignity and putting in a set of words around some concept called equity. And equity means that if there's a if there's a pandemic and they, through all of their various um, organisations that are promoting pandemic readiness, which is ultimately about vaccines, and if they determine that there's a particular vaccine which is going to be the solution for a future pandemic pathogen, equity means that everyone has to take it, right? And Equal we all know that everything that's coming down the track now is on the mRNA LNP platform, right? And we've seen how bad it is. We've had lots of science from people who aren't prostituted by big pharma or big government or whatever else, they're all shown us that this um, mRNA platform is no good, right? So do you think people should contact their local MPs, especially because it is contact, coming to election year? They need to contact their local MPs. They need to go and see their local MPs. They need to write to the government. Okay, so that's like the Ministry of Health the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade. So the Ministry of Health are responsible for the international health regulations. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade are negotiating the pandemic treaty. But both of those things are discussing the same thing, right? Uh, one, the international health regulations are, are very important because they arise out of the WHO's constitution. Effectively, they're part of the WHO's constitution. And so if a government, if they amend the international health regulations and it's agreed at a World Health Assembly and the next one to consider this is in May of 2024, and if the World Health Assembly agrees to whatever the amendments are, right, then the governments will have either 18 months or 10 months to reject or reserve positions in respect to the amendments. And... If the governments say nothing, then they're automatically bound by them. That's, That's how it's right. worked. And New Zealand has until November to re reject or reserve a position in respect to one specific amendment, which was agreed in May 
of 2022, and that is to shorten the period of time in which a government can reject or reserve a position, right? And the government is not telling me, so it's not telling anyone, right, what their position is in respect to that, right? Exactly. All I've been advised is that we will determine it at a future cabinet meeting. Well, Parliament's going to rise and there's going to be the end of this government, like in September, and we're it's all headlong into an election 14th of October, and there won't be a new government until sometime in November after the declaration of the polls and everything else. Sure, Cabinet will keep meeting, right, until the government changes over, but there's no opportunity for the public to have any input into whether or not we accept this one particular uh, amendment, right? And we have to reject it if we want to stop it. And, and that gives some indication that the government isn't going to stop all the other 307 amendments or whatever is agreed next year in May of 2024. And the pandemic treaty, right, a separate thing but talking about the same matters, is on a similar time track, May 2024, when it will be all finalised. In fact, I imagine that most of it will be finalised before the end of this year in the working groups that are like the um, the international health regulations. They've got a they've got their working groups, and that's the working group that um, Sir Ashley Bloomfield is a co-chair of. And the pandemic treaty has got something called an international negotiating body that's negotiating the text of that. But it's really important that people go and see their or contact their MPs and raise cane about it and also write to the Ministry of Health, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade, and also the Prime Minister and the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. Excellent, Greg. Now, just quickly, is there anything else um, you'd like to add? Because we need to wrap this up. Where can people find you? Um, are you, you know, active on social media? Are you publishing your research or your official information at requests that you're uh, yeah, putting I, in? Okay, mostly it's Facebook um, in my name, Greg Zeshnewski. Um, If anyone wants to contact me, I'm happy for my email address to be given out. You've got that, but it's uh, Greg Full Moon. So just at G-R-E-G-F-U-L-L-M-O-O-N-013 um, at gmail.com. Anyone can contact me in respect to that and I can provide stuff. Um, there's also um, VFF, Voices for Freedom, have just recently put together a long blog about the pandemic treaty, uh, the international health regulations, and also a UN document that's about pandemic readiness as well. And that's available on the VFF website now. Yep, people need to get as much information as they can. That is and very detailed. It's got lots of links and covers the subject very well. Excellent. And then take that information to your local representative and tell them um, to start talking about it and bring it up in Parliament and tell them whether you want it or whether you don't, up to you. But um, it's really part of, you know, this whole democracy in action, isn't it? If we don't actually take action ourselves, then our politicians are going to think that we agree and then they're not going to do anything. So then the World Health Organization is going to see everything as 
uh, agreeable and that we consent also. Thanks it, so it much, needs, Greg. Yep. It just needs to be said that our politicians, many of them wouldn't have a clue about it because the Ministry um, of Health isn't really saying anything about these things and nor is the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade. So basically it all just happened unless we raise cane about it. There you go. It's up to you at home to get out there and uh, raise cane, as Greg says. Thanks so much, Greg, and uh, we wish you all the best with those petitions. We'll link those as well, and uh, we will keep track of this, and maybe we can get you on when you get some more breaking information that you want to tell us. Greg really wants to hit home the point that the World Health Organization is simply not fit for purpose, and this is the common thread from all our experts the World Health Organization is going to likely be part of the next pandemic next month that's rolling out. It's not a conspiracy theory. This is fast becoming another conspiracy fact with all the same players going to be involved, WEF, UN, Bill Gates, Fauci, Dazic, the lot of them. And this is not something that is just made up. Alex Jones has been... And we say predicting, but no, he's not. He doesn't have a crystal ball that he looks in. He simply goes and finds the documents and reports on them from these NGOs, the think tanks, other media outlets are all reporting um, what these organizations exactly are going to do. It's all hidden in plain sight, and um, you can go and find it yourself. So before we bring on Alison Goodwin to discuss the tips and tricks to keep you and your family safe for the next pandemic, Check out this video from 2018. The globalists have said in their white papers, in their own UN documents, that they want to create race-specific bioweapons and other systems to depopulate the planet. A lot of this, from my sources, is that they're preparing to release bioweapons, claim that they're naturally uh, occurring, and then use that as the cover for civil emergency, societal control, crackdowns on free speech. Obama put the internet kill switch in five years ago, and when he got confronted by it by Congress, he said, well, it's in case the bird flu or SARS gets out. Just type that in. CDC says internet kill switch is in case bird flu or SARS breaks out, and they have to control panic and direct every website in the U.S to one government announcement. And we looked at every angle and believe a bioweapon release could be the thing they'd release to bring in a world government to counter a global problem. And the UN has said that a global pandemic is the only thing that may save their world government. InfoWars, tomorrow's news today. Dr. Alison Goodwin joins us now from the New Zealand Doctors Speaking Out with Science. And before we get into the good news that she's got to tell us, Dr. Alison, you've got your disclaimer that you just want to get out of the way. Yes, thank you. Uh, morning, Hannah. Um, so the views that I share about COVID-19 response differ from those of the Ministry of Health. My views are minority views in that they differ from what the presumed majority of New Zealand medical professionals think. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. And it's great to have you back, especially because you have got some good news. You were, of course, suspended back in January 2022 for unprofessional conduct, simply for basically telling the truth. And of course, they like to call that spreading uh, disinformation. And then you put in your appeal in February of the same year, and you've only actually heard that, um, well, you've only had the result of that this year. So let's get into that. What's actually happened? Well, the good news, I guess, is that uh, the courts, when they heard my um, appeal of, of me being suspended by the Medical Council, um, 
well, the judge has reversed the decision of the medical council to suspend me. So uh, that's the good news, that um, the judge has said in a court that the medical council shouldn't have suspended me. Uh, he didn't go so far as to say the medical council shouldn't have tried to stop me speaking, uh, but they shouldn't have suspended me. They perhaps should have used other methods to to try and silence me. But well, we'd like me. to take those wins where we can, don't we? Yes. Yeah. Now, um, you aren't actually practising at the moment because you are so busy with um, NZDSOS, and you're going to tell us um, at the end about some exciting things you've got coming up. But first, we wanted to bring you on because we're talking about the WHO, and we're talking about potentially, you know, this coming um, pandemic again, maybe in September, October. Of course, the TSA whistleblowers last week coming out saying that mass mandates are coming back and even people say that there's the new vaccine in development to be released in September. But we wanted to ask you, there's been a lot of confusion about ivermectin and other therapeutics like that and whether people can actually ask their doctors to prescribe them if they need them. Could you just give us a bit more of an outline about that? Right. Well, yes, this has been a, a whole interesting area Um and a long and convoluted story. And actually on our website, we've written several articles with links to videos that sort of explain what has happened with ivermectin. Um, but essentially ivermectin is an, a, is an approved medicine in New Zealand. Uh, and so if it's an approved medicine, then a doctor can prescribe it either for its uh, on-label um, indications, which in this case are for parasitic diseases. Um, most commonly it would be used for scabies, resistant scabies in rest home settings, uh, but, you know, for some other parasitic diseases as well. Uh, so that's its approved use. Um, but if it's a an approved medicine, a doctor can also prescribe it for unapproved reasons, unapproved uses. And so that would be, uh, you know, potentially treating COVID-19, um, treating using it for treating COVID-19. Um, so the, the thing with a an unapproved use of an approved medicine uh, is that a, a, a thorough informed consent process has to be undertaken. So the patient has to be aware that this medication uh, is not listed in our pharmaceutical schedule as approved for this condition. Uh, but, you know, there's potential um, evidence that it's useful and, you know, it's got a very good safety profile. Uh, so, you know, if you're aware of those factors and you want to go ahead with it, then then the doctor can prescribe it. But yes, it has to be a thorough informed consent process and documentation of that informed consent of what was discussed. Uh, so yes, in, in New Zealand, it's an approved medicine. Um, the only restrictions that I've seen placed on it are just statements by the College of General Practi Practice um, and statements by Pharmac that it won't be funded uh, for COVID-19, but not saying that you cannot prescribe it. However, the Medical Council has taken it upon itself to investigate and um, investigate and take to task any doctor who has prescribed it. But I'm still in the dark as to what uh, jurisdiction they're using to, to do that. And the cases of the doctors who've prescribed it who are being investigated by the Medical Council, those cases are still uh, haven't made it to the disciplinary tribunal stage so that we can find out exactly what um, authority the Medical Council has to be taking these actions against doctors. So yes, in theory, any doctor can prescribe ivermectin off-label with an informed consent process, 
But the reality is that most doctors in New Zealand are not going to do that because they've been threatened by the College of GPs, by the Medical Council, that if they do prescribe it, action will be taken. And um, any of those doctors that have faced action, does that mean they're not allowed to practice or is it does, is it still waiting for a result before they well, they're, they're get suspended? Undergo, they're undergoing these professional conduct committees. Uh, you know, so they're having a team of two doctors and a lay person um, go through a process looking at all the crimes they've supposedly committed and then coming to a conclusion. And, you know, some of the conduct committees are referring people to education programs. Some of the professional conduct committees are referring the doctors to the disciplinary tribunal. And so in the disciplinary tribunal stage, uh, you know, so there's um, three doctors that have had that this year. So Peter Canaday had his disciplinary tribunal in April and the outcome of that is still awaited. Uh, another doctor had one in July and then Dr. Sam Bailey had her one that she didn't attend uh, just this month in Christchurch. Um, so the outcomes of those tribunals will, well, Peter's tribunal, particularly Dr. Canaday's tribunal, that'll be interesting um, to find out what you know, what the Medical Council actually thinks and, and how they're um, you know, how they're going to censor him or or, or or whether they're going to say, well, actually, Dr. Kennedy, what you were saying was perfectly fine. Um, so, yeah, they haven't, the doctors that have prescribed ivermectin, yes, they've still got practising certificates, um, but they're being investigated with these professional conduct committees. Right. And what about with hydroxychloroquine? Was that a bit different? Did that actually get um, taken off the prescribing list or well no it's a the similar what happened with that but that was much earlier so hydroxychloroquine mm. it was in march 2020 we all got sent all, all gps at least got sent um information from pharmac again basically saying that you can't prescribe it because we want to save it for people with rheumatoid arthritis or you know the people that were already taking it for their autoimmune conditions um but again it it, it was a sort of threatening statement with I don't really know what sort of legislation or, or legal backing that it's got. So, that yeah, but that was very early on, the hydroxychloroquine. Uh, that was quite bizarre. So March 2020, uh, you know, and then the fraudulent um, study came out in May 2020 that was published in The Lancet to discredit hydroxychloroquine. And it was a completely fabricated study. You know, supposedly they'd studied 96,000 patients on six countries in six countries uh, and managed to publish the results by may 2020 and it, it was later shown to be fraudulent and that study was retracted so the same sort of thing has happened uh with ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine um just the, the ivermectin was september 2021 so quite you know there was a worldwide campaign at that time when it, we were all told it was false medicine you can't prescribe it um, and these threatening letters came from the College of GPs. I mean, the other issue in New Zealand is the funding of, of those two medicines. So, uh, you know, you, you have the decision whether it's an approved medicine or not, but then you also have whether Pharmac funds it. And so neither of those two are funded for treatment of COVID-19. So they're much more expensive than than funded medicines. You know, and so for, for most people with ivermectin in particular, the cost uh, although it's a cheap drug to produce, um, the fact that it's not subsidised by Pharmac means that the cost is is significantly higher. And so, for a course of ivermectin, it's um, you know it's out of some people's pockets to do that. Yeah. So, what if people, you know, are getting concerned that maybe you know there's going to be some other engineered uh, release of something coming up? 
and they want to go and get their hands on some ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, is it a matter of finding a doctor that is sympathetic or do you think they could convince their general GP or what, what do you suggest? Well, I guess it, it depends, first of all, what pathogen or bug or thing is the next pandemic. You know, medicines aren't, you know, the same things aren't necessarily going to work. If it's another variation of COVID, then maybe uh, the ivermectin might have some effect. Um but, I mean, I guess my thing is you've got to be as healthy as possible. You know, I mean, ideally now we're trying to be as healthy as possible by the basics. So eating real food, uh, getting out in the Who sun. Who can afford whether, that these days, though? Well, yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, you know, eating food, drinking plenty of water, getting out in the sun and, and making sure you're vitamin D. So at this time of year, September or, you know, August, September, our vitamin D levels will be at their lowest um, because we won't have had sun over the winter time, and the sun that, or the sun exposure that we got over the summer, the vitamin D from that will be um, at its lowest ebb. And once the sun starts shining strongly enough to make vitamin D, we um, our levels will start increasing, sort of September October, as long as we're getting sunshine. So that's important. And then, uh, I mean, personally, I have vitamin C on hand, um, and I have zinc on hand, and you know, yeah, real food, oranges, lemons. Uh, other fruit and veggies that have the, those vitamins in. Uh, vitamin D you can get from, I think, dairy products and eggs, particularly in your food. It's a, The sun is a better source of that. Um, but, you know, adequate sleep, um, not drinking too much alcohol, not having too much sugar. You know, the sugar in, in your diet and high sugar levels in your blood uh, reduce your ability to fight infections. So the um, better your blood sugar levels are. Uh, the the stronger your immune system is. So yeah, those, those things exercising are and all the basic stuff yeah, yeah. that oh, people know. Exercise, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and a lot of mindfulness techniques and stuff like that yeah. out there these days to help deal with the stress um, and the pressures that are coming thick and fast from all directions. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's definitely a tricky time for most people out there at the moment. Now. Finally, we just wanted to wrap up with um, what is NZDSOS up to? You guys have got an exciting event coming up. Would you like to give that a bit of a plug? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we've got our um, our first public conference coming up. So that's on the week, well, on the 16th of September, Saturday, 16th of September in Auckland at Eden Park. Um, and we've got um, a variety of speakers. Uh, we've got Dr. Asim Malhotra, the cardiologist from the UK. He's going to be there in person. Uh, we've got Guy Hatchard, our local um, scientist, keeping up to date with the data. Jodie Brunning, uh, another Kiwi um, sociologist speaking. I'm not sure exactly what she's speaking about, but she's uh, very good. Uh, who else have we got? Uh, oh, David Nixon, Dr. David Nixon, who's been doing a lot of microscopy coming from Australia. Uh, Rainer Formick is going to be beaming in um, electronically on Zoom. And then we've got uh, our own Dr. Matt Shelton is going to be speaking as well and then there'll be a Q&A session um, at the end of the speakers then we've got a sort of meet and greet social occasion where we just can chat to everybody and then to finish the evening off we've got um, we're going to be showing Silenced the the film that features Peter Williams and features Jodie Brunning and Dr Anna O'Reilly one of our um, doctors. Very exciting and where can people get tickets if they want to come to that? On our website, it should pop up with um, a pop-up box saying register now or I think uh, on the website. So that's nzdsos.com. 
Yeah. As opposed to nzdsos.co.nz, which was an imitation website at some point. I don't know if that's been pulled yet. But Yeah, um, so I mean, there's nothing much been posted on that website for a long time. So it should be obvious that ours, ours has got, we've put out regular posts um, several times a week, mostly with um, up-to-date topics and information on, uh, you know, whatever we're investigating or finding out or what the latest research shows. Um, Excellent. So, yeah. so is there anything else you want to bring to people's attention before we wrap this up? Oh, well, just going back to the ivermectin, I guess, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say it's the, it's the be-all and end-all of medication, but just, I mean, having it, if you are going to your doctor about it, the doctors are legally able to prescribe off-label medicines and perhaps taking them some information uh, about or, or asking them what under what legislation or do they think they can't prescribe it and just perhaps educating them that they are allowed to prescribe it. Um, so maybe going to your website and printing off those articles yeah. that you guys have written and um and well, maybe not all of them, perhaps just one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't just bombard one, them. Read yeah. it through and and discuss it with your doctor. Um, because you know the doctors are busy, the GPs that are working are, are busy. They don't have a whole lot of time to look at uh, things, and you know the I guess they just take take the, the word of the medical council and or the college of GPs at face value without actually looking at the deeper issues yeah and that's uh the fear again isn't it they're just trying to do this all over the country and all the different sectors threatening some sort of um silence or withdrawal of practicing certificates and people because they are so busy with their own lives they don't you know they trust these governing bodies and they don't have the time to go and do the in-depth research themselves uh, and that's what you guys are there for that's what we hopefully um offer people as well you know another side of things so that you realize that sometimes um the government is not actually a single source of truth yes no well actually i just have seen something this morning um in malaysia so the malaysia doctors a group of doctors in malaysia have taken a um a, a similar question to ours to the to the courts in malaysia and have actually been told yep you are allowed to prescribe this there's no reason why you can't prescribe it and uh we want doctors to be able to be doctors um, without having government in the consultation room telling doctors what they can and can't do. So that's that's uh, exciting news out of Malaysia just recently. Excellent. Yeah, because it is a relationship between the doctor and the patient and mm. the state shouldn't really even be interfering if if um, the patient wants that. It's, I, I do want to say one thing as well. It's interesting how you said fully informed consent for an off-label prescription of ivermectin and yet uh, this jab, you know, people certainly weren't you know, they weren't giving fully informed consent because they weren't even given all the information. No, it was uninformed coercion. It wasn't that's right consent at all. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Alison Goodwin. We wish you all the all the best for the upcoming conference and appreciate your time. Great. Thanks, Hannah. Great to be on again. I thought it was so good there how Dr. Allison was actually reminding us that ivermectin was never banned formally. It was just a media coercion and indoctrination technique against our medical fraternity. And it was simply the colour of law. So if you are looking for something to get you through, go and check out your local GP. Download some of those articles that Allison was talking about. Show your GP and if you still have no luck, go to nzdsos.com. Now, our next guest, Tracy Livingston from the Election Integrity Project, is really putting out an appeal for you to get involved in the elections. We need watchdogs. After all, 
everything that's been happening over in the um, could very well be happening here. And speaking of elections, of course, Mr. Chris Hipkins, good old chippy, he's uh, looking very smug here in a recent New Zealand Herald article discussing the fact that all the COVID restrictions here in New Zealand have been dropped. And that article was published only days before Alex Jones came out with his breaking information that in September, mid-September, October, there will be another pandemic. So uh, it's not surprising either because we know what it's like. They keep all these mechanisms in place. They can switch it on like a light. And um, who knows, we could be seeing lockdowns coming back very, very soon. And we don't want our elections to be stolen like they were in America. So Tracy's got some very important information to share with you. But before that, here's a word from our sponsor. This is a COVID-1984 announcement. Have you been missing our COVID-1984 announcements? Missing all the lockdowns? Poisonous jab mandates? No jab, no job policies? And most of all, Cindy's famous traffic lights? Well, don't be disappointed. Omicron be damned. We're coming back in style. It's now time to bring back the designer masks, lockdowns and mail-in ballots, just in time for the general election. We are releasing the newest and biggest variant of all time. Labour BS 24-7. But don't panic, we already have a new jab potion arriving next month, so when it comes, just shut up and get the jab. Labour BS 24-7. In it for you. For the next three years. Be brave. Do not comply. Tracy Livingston from the Election Integrity Project joins us now. This is a very exciting project. Tracy, tell us all about it. What is it and how can people get involved? Oh, hey, thanks, Hannah, for helping with this. It's really important. So the idea is this is a whole of New Zealand vote count scrutineering. So a lot of people don't know what scrutineering is anymore. It used to be quite a, a time-honoured volunteering role for people who were involved in a political party. And the idea was always that it was about maintaining election integrity and honesty. And um, scrutineers are, are, are selected or signed in by a candidate of of a, any, any political party or, or a can, um, candidate or a party. And the idea is that you just sit in and watch the watch the the voting. Whereas now, because, because things have changed, um, there's early voting. So the whole dynamic of scrutineering has changed. And we were really concerned after the last election that things didn't seem quite right. They didn't add up. And part of that might have been because we've lost the scrutineering role. So scrutineering is, it's nothing to do with counting the vote. What it is, is just watching the process and being involved in the process. As in, um, our, our main task with this election will be to get a scrutineer into every single voting booth in New Zealand. So that's 72 electorates, 30 to 35 voting booths in each electorate, more probably in some places. And so that's almost 2,500 people by the time you add everyone up. And then the idea is that they collect the certificate of count and get a verifiable copy because the JP will sign, uh, Justice of the Peace will sign it off, the returning officer will sign it off. Um, what happens then is that that vote count or certificate of count goes into a computer, the EMS, 
electoral election management system. And um, so what happens there is then we see the numbers on our screen and we can never go back and really check the vote count, the certificate of count. So we'd like to get a copy of that before it goes into the EMF. And um, so there's different, there's moving parts in an election um, or in the voting process. So there's the scrutineering on the election day. And what we're trying to, what we want is to get those two and a half thousand people or 200, 220,000 people who volunteer their time. It's about uh, five hours on election day. So it basically means going into the election uh, electoral booth at uh, before seven o'clock at night, watching the count, getting a copy of the certificate of count, and then reporting back to the election integrity project. And then we'll crunch the numbers and put it out to councilmen and anyone else who's interested in those numbers. Um, it's a bit of a task, and we're really looking for as many people who are interested in, 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 in ele election integrity, essentially. Um, but it will have to be a large, a large number, and I'm hoping that I don't have to manage everybody. I'm trying to create a team of 72 team leaders, one person for each electorate, who then manages the 30 or 40 people uh, who will then be allocated to each voting booth. Excellent. So if people would like to get involved, because uh, this is obviously an apolitical thing, they will need a sponsored um, candidate in their electorate or a political party. Yes. Um, but how do they actually reach out to you in the first instance? Okay. So if you want to get involved, uh, email me, Tracy, Noe, uh, at Livingston, Noe, Kiwi, and we'll put, obviously, we'll put that um, email on your on your website. Uh, so Tracy at Livingston.kiwi, email me with your interest and I'll give you a lot more details. Um, we're going to fully train people so they know exactly what to expect, how to behave, because it's, you know, it's a very, um, I don't want to use the word rigid, but it's there is a process. You know, you don't want to mess with the voting. You don't want to upset anything. It's actually very, um, it's a real observer role. And, um, and so there's quite a lot of rules and regulations and you do need a, 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 a your entry ticket is essentially a scrutineering form saying that you will obey the rules and it has to be signed off by a candidate or by a political party and by any political party because so this the election integrity project is completely apolitical. We've got people from all, whether it's Democracy NZ, Outdoors, Freedom NZ, Loyal, NZ Loyal, um, Lots and lots of interest because they know that it's really important to to get back to this very old fashioned job actually that everyone's kind of forgotten about. And actually, did you want people to help with the early votes and then the kind of double, you know, the vote on the Sunday as well? Yeah, so it's, the election um, vote counts got several moving parts. The the one part is the the election day count. Then there's the early count, which starts on Saturday afternoon of election day. And that goes all afternoon till about seven or eight o'clock at night, uh, and that's so that's a that's a big job. And so I'm looking for people who specifically um, want to take on a, a big task like that. And then, of course, the following day is what they call the official count, and so that's when they go through and 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 check and make sure everyone who did vote 
you know, was eligible to vote or if someone voted twice, um, they check all of that. And they also do their informal votes, which means that you can't read the vote paper properly. Like you might have ticked for two candidates and they can't tell which one, you know, your preference. Um, so they go through all of that. And we need someone there because that's where we've seen in the past there have been problems. Um, so, for example, I've talked to several people in local body elections, actually, who who would have won a, 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 a local body election, but there were so many informal votes that it actually um, took their vote count down. And so that kind of interference um, is concerning, and we don't want that to happen. And, you know, then it looks much more like what they call a selection rather than election. So we just like to keep the vote count really honest, really clear, really above board. Um, and the only way we can do it is if everyone gets involved and does their bit. So if you're going to take the effort to vote, then you might as well take the effort to scrutinize and make sure that, that your vote is counted the way it should be counted. Awesome. Well, that sounds like a really great project. And if you're part of an election or sorry, a, a political party or another freedom group that has not yet gotten on board with this project, um, it's probably worthwhile reaching out to them and letting them know that this is happening and that they ought to get in touch with Tracy as well, because yeah. uh, the more the merrier, essentially. Yeah, I think people are really busy at the moment. Like every time I try and contact someone, they're going like, we're really busy right now. And I'm like, yes. Yes, because <laughs> you're busy, you know, getting votes and sorting out your policies and doing all of those things. But if, you know, it's that start with the end in mind. Like we can spend five minutes doing this here and get that sorted out and then come election day, everything's in place and we just make it happen. So we want to make it as easy as possible for the political parties to, for us to do our job. They can do, if they do five minutes putting the word out to their people, um, we'll just take over from there. Yeah, everybody's very busy. Uh, there's so much to do and it's hard keeping on top of everything, but uh, great that you're doing this. Thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to election day and getting your results in. All right. Hey, thanks. Lovely to talk to you, Hannah. Thanks for your help. Thanks. Cheers. No worries. Bye. Bye. Alex Jones himself will admit that 95% of the time he will get it right, 5% he gets it wrong. Often he is actually uh, willing to admit when he got something wrong. If this is wrong, what he has said, that there will be a pandemic rolled out next month, he is willing to take that on the chin because he really just wants to call it out and actually try and stop it and get these uh, psychopaths to quit trying to destroy humanity. So what we know, one thing for sure is, is that Alex Jones was right getting Counterspin Media on his Bandop video platform. Now, if you want to support our work moving forward, please do so at counterspinmedia.com. Hit the donate button. We are very, very grateful for all of you who already have donated in the past because we couldn't do it without you we don't have any big sponsors BlackRock's not sponsoring us uh, we don't have any international funders as the mainstream media likes to say it's simply people like you sitting at home watching that want to chip in uh, a few dollars here and there so please do so because we really really need your support uh, also if you want to support us go and check out the spike detox that could be really helpful for you and your family if any of you have 
had to take that experimental poison for any reason. Uh, and we do get a percentage of that. So that's another way you can support us. And we really didn't want to be pushing any more fear porn today, but we we really strongly believe that um, forewarned is forearmed. So hopefully with this information, you can be prepared, get your family prepared, keep your eyes on a swivel. You never know what's coming down the pipeline. Um, but it's very, very trying times ahead, potentially. Hopefully you'll all stand up and you will not consent and you will not comply because ultimately that's the only reason why they get away with any of this stuff. And um, don't stay silent anymore because your silence is also compliance. Get out there, go and talk to your MPs, your people who are vying to be MPs to represent you in this election. Go and ask them the hard questions. Go and ask them, would they consider pulling out of the World Health Organization? Are they even aware of the changes to the international health regulations? Because it's people power that's going to win this. And come on, New Zealand, we're only 5 million people. And most importantly, Share this information far and wide because censorship is real um, and the only way that we can wake up even more people is by word of mouth and you giving them the links to this show. So thank you at home for joining us and thank you to all our guests today and we look forward to seeing you next time. Take care. Slow recovery. Virus infections, injections, connections can all leave a toxic residue. Spike proteins are the hooks on the outside of the virus that attach to your cells. Spike proteins fit like a key into these ACE receptors, unlocking cellular walls. Spike proteins are still found in the body months after an exposure, leaking from the intestine into the bloodstream, hitting ACE receptors which can disrupt normal blood and heart processes, meaning slower recovery for people who can't break them down. Spike Detox is a formula to support your body in normal functions, including detox, after exposure to glycoproteins. Inspired by four everyday plant medicines, two plants that support cells, two plants that support detox. Cell support, supercomputers predicted black seed and quercetin have molecules that fit the ACE receptor to protect it, supporting normal heart and blood, and normal cell walls. Detox support, Spikes are glycoprotein. Some people can break down glycoprotein quickly. Others benefit from extra support. Pineapple's bromelain enzymes break down glycoproteins, like when pineapple juice tenderizes steak. Bromelain dissolves glycoproteins, supporting natural detoxification for people who need it. Acetylcysteine is a stable form of amino acid cysteine inspired by similar compounds in garlic, an antioxidant powerhouse shown to increase bromelain's ability to dissolve spikes. Spike Detox supports normal heart and blood, supports normal cell walls, supports natural detoxification, because not everyone is bouncing back quickly. Spike Detox is available from extralife.co.nz. Enter promo code CSM at checkout for $10 off your order, and Extra Life will make a special donation to Counterspin. Extra Life. For maximum longevity. This product is a dietary supplement. It cannot diagnose, treat or cure any disease. These herbal extracts and nutrients support your body and its natural processes to maintain a state of wellness. If you are experiencing illness or disease, please consult a health professional. You can find Counterspin, New Zealand's media revolution, at counterspinmedia.com.
And now, on the InfoWars Network, at band.video.